The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're going to take a look at energy and specifically carbon reduction. We hear a lot about compliance and targets, but what's actually achievable? Now, at this point, as you know, I normally stop and do a quick bio of myself and then hint extraordinarily subtly that if you have a conference coming up, I can be available as an MC or speaker. But of course, at the moment, nobody's planning conferences. So I'll just say if your job means you need to do press interviews or you want help with online presentation skills, you can find me at remotemediatraining.com. I've been a technology journalist for over 30 years and I know where the traps are. And I've been training remotely for over 10 years. But you didn't come to this podcast for that. You came to hear what my guest has to say. Her professional focus recently has been on new business fields with green gas, distributed energy systems and decarbonization of heat. She provides service-based energy savings models that are tailored to the specific needs of clients, taking in both the demand and supply side. Outside the day job, she's on a number of industry bodies and a member of the board of the Heat Trust, a chartered member of the Institute of Engineering and Technology, the IET, and works closely with various organizational research projects. Her job title is Head of Energy Solutions at Siemens, and her name is Faye Bowser. Faye, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Faye, regular listeners are all too well aware that I tend to crib my introductions from elsewhere remorselessly. So could you perhaps tell us about your background and what you do in your own words, please? I started out originally as a as in a mechanical apprentice. This is at a, a factory in Lincoln in the East Midlands. We have a factory there that's supporting the global market, manufacturing and servicing small gas turbines. Actually, a big part of that business was centered around the oil and gas market. And the more that I learned, the more I had quite an internal dilemma about that. But I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to that a bit later. And then went on to different roles, managing contracts, doing sales. My last countries were in Russia and supporting Eastern Europe, doing sales positions. And then over the last few years, I've instead focused on the UK market. And this was around strategy and government affairs. I'm now the, the head of the energy solutions team. And what we essentially do is we partner with people who use a lot of energy, which are people like manufacturers and universities. We really get to know what are their objectives around their business strategy, what kind of targets they have for things like cost reduction, carbon reduction. And we combine that strategy with our, our engineering and our energy expertise to design a system that can be integrated at a local point, sort of on-site for that user. People listen to these podcasts for a while after they've gone out, so I should just clarify that as we record, we're in week, goodness knows what, of the COVID-19 epidemic, and it's early June 2020. So in normal times, what do you normally advise organisations to do in order to cut their emissions as much as possible? What what are the first few issues you typically find on site when you go onto a customer uh, premises? It is an emergency, but what I would say in, in relative terms is that it's a short-term emergency, and it's one that we will get through. Things and people have already started to move again now, like you say, we're at the beginning of June, and things are happening at different rates in different countries. But the reason why I mention that is because it does sit on that backdrop of a longer and deeper emergency, 
that we don't have under control, which is why we call the climate and ecological crisis an emergency. What I would advise organizations is around quite a simple structure, as you would for any other kind of great and complex challenge that we have. The first thing is to name it. You can't fix a problem that you don't identify. So you need to see what is it? Why is it important to your organization, your employees, and to you? And so that moves you on then to secondly, starting to understand it. So what is your current contribution um, in terms of greenhouse gases? What kind of ambitious targets can you set that you need to strive towards? And then finally, moving on to take action. If you need more transparency, then you can partner with companies that give you that deeper understanding. And the best thing to start with is to actually make a difference is to use less. There are a lot of different systems and ways that you can work on things like efficiency measures. And they don't just save you carbon, but they'll also save costs as well. But what you'll still use to explore is then see what's possible that you can integrate at a local level. And that really depends on what you have as your location and what you have historically. So some things like universities, they could look at things like wind turbines, solar panels, battery storage, all different types of quite proven technology. And then different platforms where you can actually be a, an active part of the energy system, offering flexibility services, things like microgrid controllers. So that's essentially where, where we come in, is that we're looking to empower energy intensive users to be part of and benefit from the energy transition that's happening or has been happening for some time. But back into that context of COVID-19, it's saying let's not just run from one emergency into the next. Action can be taken and should be, still be taken even, even now. I understand that you help larger organizations at least cut their emissions to the extent that the cuts end up paying for themselves. I'm just wondering if you'd elaborate on that and give me any examples. One example is a case where actually we really looked in the mirror uh, for everything that, that we say and that we talk to our organizations about. So it's something that we're doing ourselves because we are a manufacturer and we are an energy intensive user. In, in the UK, Siemens has around about 15 manufacturing sites. So the example I can offer is uh, a Siemens factory in Congleton. Uh, and that, that factory played a really important part in uh, recently in the ventilator challenge as well. But they're a very innovative and very forward thinking business. They recognize that you don't become world-class by just having the best technology, but also world-class in the efficiency of manufacturing that technology. So they set an aspiration to become a world's first carbon neutral manufacturer. And we developed ways for them to use less to start with around energy efficiency. So we did things like upgrading their lighting system. We did some work on optimizing their building management systems, improved measures around their production cooling processes. So a number of ways to help them use less and be more efficient. And then on top of that, we're installing now an engine on site that's backed up by biogas certificates. So it's using biogas that's coming from a local farm in the north of Yorkshire. And amongst all of that, again, you've got that platform there that 
allows them to go into island mode so that they have absolute coverage for any concerns over uh, power outages. So if there's any sort of disruption from the network, they can go into this island mode and keep running even in the even in sort of different situations. But the, the system that I've talked through, that reduces their energy costs by about £330,000 per year. So what you do when you, you save that much money, you, you use that savings to pay for the project, essentially. So they've used that and, and year on year, they haven't then had that upfront capital investment. They've used the savings to spend to, to save on the, to pay for the project. That's, that's, that's one example. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're obviously talking about uh, large uh, enterprises here, which I imagine is Siemens' main focus. Of course, please do correct me if I'm incorrect. I'm just wondering, are there any industries in particular that are the worst offenders? And the is worst, it offenders fault, for... worst offenders for emissions. And is it their fault? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking in, in terms of manufacturing, you are, you are of necessity going to be consuming stuff. Whereas if you're, mm-hmm. a, uh, if you're a, a service industry, you're not. So, you know, I don't want to apply judgment to this necessarily. But I mean, is there, uh, mm-hmm. uh, are there industries that need more help than others is probably a better way of phrasing it. Part of the question almost reminds me of that part that I said at the start around a lot of the work that I was doing originally around small gas turbines, a big part of the market was the oil and gas sector. So I was supporting big oil and gas majors. And that gave me a real like internal dilemma. The more that I was learning about greenhouse gases and the environment and sort of devastating effects and what that means for the long term. That's typically where a lot of minds go when they think of the worst offenders, those, those types of organizations. And so within there, I was thinking, well, should I feel ashamed of then of what I've done? And, and like you say, is this, is this also part of my fault? Because in the end, when we talk about industries and organizations, they're just they're a collection of human beings that have their own beliefs, their own emotions and their own hopes. But when I was doing that job and working with those companies, I saw it in a way that I thought I was doing something good, that we're, we're installing these systems that are delivering power and heat to hospitals, to schools, to cities. And then you realize it's, it's not what we're doing and the difference we're making to people's lives, it's, it's how we're doing. And we need to change that in how we're doing it. So I think there are still industries that we can see in the UK that need to make a big change. But I think rather than seeing who's sort of main ones and is it their fault, it's almost if you want to change something, you have to change by showing how different it can be, which I think is a big part of why we've set ourselves as target as Siemens to become carbon neutral, to say as a manufacturer, it is possible and it can be empowering and it can strengthen your position in the market. It can attract more employees. You know, there's a lot of positive things around there. So I would see it very differently to seeing is it, is it sort of someone's fault, but like, like kind of went on to explain like, what, how can we help people and what difference can be made? It was a bad word to use and I'm happy to accept the clarification. Thank you for that. There are, however, a lot of companies whose culture has a limited appetite for risk and change. And of course, you know, change is a risk in and of itself. You must come across those as clients without naming any names, of course. Mm-hmm. What can they do and how do you actually try to bring them around? 
Yeah, no, you're right. I think every every company has quite different risk appetite and also how far they're willing to go beyond what their core business is as well. Because, you know, all the users that we work with, energy isn't part of their core business. It's a big part of their operating cost. So it, it does cost them, but they're not necessarily energy experts. So there are still practical things that is changing that mindset to really see the opportunity that's in front of them around reducing that operating costs and to be really innovative, showing employees, students, stakeholders that the environment is really important to you as a company. But the risk element, there's ways to de-risk the project by partnering with the right organizations. Maybe if we if we compare it to something that's a bit different, but it is around Transport. I think that's something that everyone can can see has changed in quite recent times. That we used to we used to buy our car. We used to have the risk of servicing it, maintaining it, and it's you know a chunk of our money was wrapped up in that asset. And then there's been a shift towards leasing, which is taking away the burden and having to get sort of. And also, we've got access then to the sort of latest models. And now even further on, a lot of people won't even lease a car. They'll just pay per use. They'll pay with convenience for things like Uber. And it's been a huge transformation around how we used to buy it into now it's very much a sort of servitized model around transport. For me, I don't own a car. And 10 years ago, I would have thought it was very strange for me not to own a car. But now there's really similar trends in the energy industry and energy intensive users where they're quite clearly signaling, we don't want to buy these assets. We don't want to invest in energy infrastructure, but I want the outcome of it. I want that part around the empowerment and the reduced cost to reduce carbon, which is why we focus a lot around energy as a service so that the end user gets the benefits, but it's a really low risk model. And it allows the user to just remain focused on their core business. So I think a big part of it, putting the customer right back at the heart of what you do and seeing how has it got to a point where customers to decarbonize it, it costs them very resource intensive. Everything has to change. And, and I think that's, that service element is the key to unlock this, this change that needs to happen. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm interested in uh, the targets you're aiming for. You've mentioned Siemens internal targets. Our government has, of course, set targets. Your focus is primary in the UK yourself. There are also mm-hmm. international targets which don't necessarily coincide. What are the objectives behind your work and how are you benchmarking? So there is definitely what I do like about being focused on the UK market. Like you said, the, we were the first major economy in the world to pass a law to end its contribution to global warming by 2050. And it's really helpful that that's been legislated so that people say this isn't really a nice to have. This isn't when we've got time to and if we want to. We have a, a legally binding obligation to get to carbon neutrality. So that's that's a good target and a good step for the government to take. There are a lot of um, different perspectives to say that could be ambitious, more ambitious, that could be brought in further, but at least it's, it's a start. So we're working on that backdrop to see our, the benchmark, see how are we doing as an economy around getting to that um, carbon neutrality. And then within our own company, like you say, it's, it's 
we have to lead by example. We have to show that it's possible. We've already reduced our own emissions by 50% as an organization. And we're well on way to get to carbon neutrality by 2030. And they're the sort of main two parameters that I have in mind and making sure that we're, we're empowering people to be part of that transition. Now, some of the technology behind what you're doing sounds interesting. Uh, I understand there's a digital technology that actually enables you to produce a digital twin of a client organization. Could you tell me a bit about how that works? I really like the, the phrase digital twin because it's just, uh, it's really changing things. It's, it, the whole philosophy around digitalization, it goes beyond what people were first perceiving it to be to say, right, this is now just getting data and manipulating it and doing something with that data. It's a mindset and it's a, it's a change of all the processes and it's a, a way to have a lot more intelligence around what you're designing and simulating and developing for the customers. So we can show them through understanding how much energy they use today, we pull that into one of our software platforms, which is a simulation tool, and we drop in different technologies and we run different simulations and show if you were to install this system, this is what it means for your cost, your carbon and your resilience. Because there's never just, here's one answer. There's different ways to approach this problem that have lots of different effects. So we can simulate it, we can run it and show what that means for the long term and make sure anything we're delivering today that it makes it future-proof for sort of tomorrow's solution as well. So it takes away human error from manipulating all this information in things like spreadsheets. Uh, it makes us a lot more efficient. It allows us to focus on the task that we're actually set out to achieve, which is focusing on the customer and, and showing them visually what's possible through these simulation tools. So we use that, but it's not just something for a design phase. We then base our offers and we base all of our, our contractual obligations on that to say, if we've designed this and this is what we told you it can deliver, we will guarantee it and we will pay penalties if we weren't right. And by doing that, then we take all, those, all of those lessons learned back into systems that we design next. And so it's sort of continuous improvements. Thank you very much for that. Obviously, Siemens aims for the larger enterprise and everything you've just described, like an entire digital twin, can apply to the larger enterprise. What can smaller companies do um, beyond the obvious recycling and other vaguely known green activities? What would you advise smaller companies to do if they were listening and wanted to reduce their emissions, reduce their carbon footprint? There's a lot the smaller organizations can do, which is, is a very similar philosophy. Um, it's still through those, those steps of, of recognizing, you know, it, it's maybe a smaller footprint, but everything makes difference. If we're going to, if we're well, not, if we, when we get to that carbon neutral, we're all going to be part of that journey. So sort of embrace it. Don't let that transformation happen to you. Be part of it. And so if they name it, they set out their targets and they start to work within the local communities, see what other steps have people taken and what can I learn from that? Because you can even bring it one level down further for individuals, the way that we're making choices and the way that we're living our lives. You know, I, as much as possible, I always try and make 
informed choices. I do do my research on what am I buying and who from and where has it come from? How can I make better decisions? But that's, I, I enjoy that. I don't really see that as a burden. Some people see it as quite um, labor intensive, but you learn so much about the world and your environment and companies by doing that research and by being curious. Um, so I think that that part from how you do it as an individual can be how you bring it into even sort of smaller companies. But talking to people about it, I talk to my family and my friends and, and tell them you know, why I might have, have changed something that I buy. And so you're influencing then your immediate network and small companies can influence within their sort of their local enterprises as well. And then bringing it back into your profession. So when we talk about sustainability, it's around the whole of the value chain. For us, it's not just about what my team does, like partnering with companies to help them achieve the carbon and reduction targets, but also who are the companies that are part of our supply chain? How are we qualifying them? Where are their products coming from? So asking those questions within your professional capacities and saying like all of these things will make a difference. Um, so be curious talk about it, be informed, be educated. I think that can be brought at a small organization or at an individual level. Finally, where can people get in touch if they want to find out more about you and your work? From a, a really practical point for me, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn as Bay Bowser. So I'm always posting things and talking about things to see what, what we're thinking about. There's also our website, so if someone was to, to Google Siemens Local Energy Systems, they'll come across our, our webpage and see information on, on references and different articles. And there's also in there, if people were curious around some of the approaches that we've talked through, there's an energy configurator tool. And so it does give you an example in the webpage where you can input how much energy do you use, what's your local infrastructure, and it gives an indication this is what kind of savings could be possible for you. So on that, that webpage, the Siemens Local Energy Systems, there's, there's a lot more information. Faye Bowser of Siemens, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. And I'll be back, as always, in two weeks' time.